Shalom Mishpokah. Welcome to this week's Kadima podcast. Moses and the requirement to sacrifice. We have a minor milestone this broadcast. This is our 30th Kadima talk. Very exciting. As we start this broadcast, I'm going to read a lot of scripture at first. I don't normally do this, but it's going to set the precedence for where we're going. And this is Exodus 3, 1 through 4, 17. Starting in Exodus 3, now Moshe was tending the sheep of Jethro, Yitro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Leading the flock to the far side of the desert, he came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of Adonai appeared to him in a fire blazing from the middle of the bush. He looked and saw that although the bush was flaming with fire, yet the bush was not being burned up. Moshe said, I'm going to go over and see this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't being burned up. When Adonai saw that he'd gone over to see, God called to him from the midst of the bush, Moshe, Moshe. He answered, Hineni, here I am. He said, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. Verse six, I'm the God of your father. He continued, the God of Avraham, the God of Yitzhak, the God of Yaakov. Moshe covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse seven, Adonai said, I've seen how my people are being oppressed in Egypt and heard their cry for release from their slave masters because I know their pain. Verse eight, I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the country to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Kaani, the Hittite, the Amori, the Prizi, the Hevi, and the Yavushi. I have seen how terribly the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, therefore now come and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you can lead my people, the descendants of Israel, out of Egypt. Moshe said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? He replied, I will surely be with you. Your sign that I have sent you will be that when you have led the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Verse 13, Moshe said to God, look, when I appear before the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I to tell them? God said to Moshe in verse 14, I, hey, I share, I, hey, I am, I will, and I am that I will be. He added, here's what you say to the people of God. The great I am has sent you to me. God said further to Moshe, say this to the people of Israel, yed Hey vav Hey Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered, generation after generation, Lador Vador. Verse 16, go gather the leaders of Israel together and say to them, Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, has appeared to me and said, I have been paying close attention to you and I've seen what is being done to you in Egypt. Verse 17, and I have said to them, I will lead you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amori, the Prizi, Hivai, and Yavushi, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will heed what you say, verse 18. Then you will come, you and the leaders of Israel before the king of Egypt, and you will tell him, Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go three days journey into the desert so that we can sacrifice to Adonai, our God. Verse 19, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you leave unless he's forced to do so, but I will reach out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will do there. After that, he will let you go. Verse 21, moreover, I will make the Egyptians so well disposed toward this people that when you go, you won't go empty-handed. Rather, all the women will ask their neighbors and house guests for silver, gold jewelry, and clothing, with which you will dress your own sons and daughters. In this way, you will plunder the Egyptians. 
Exodus chapter four, starting in verse one, Moshe replied, but I am certain they won't believe me. They won't listen to what I say because they'll say Adonai did not appear to you. Verse two, Adonai answered him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it to the ground. And he threw it on the ground. It turned into a snake and Moshe recalled from it. Verse four, then Adonai said to Moshe, put your hand out and take it by the tail. He reached out with his hand, took a hold of it, and it became a staff in his hand. Verse five, this is so that they will believe that Adonai, the God of their fathers, the God of Avraham, the God of Yishach, the God of Yaakov has appeared to you. Verse six, furthermore, Adonai said to him, now put your hand inside your coat. He put his hand in his coat, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, now put your hand back in your coat. He put his hand back in his coat, and when he took it out, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. Verse eight, if they don't believe you or heed the advice of the first sign, they will be convinced by the second. Verse nine, but if they aren't persuaded even by both these signs and still won't listen to what you say, then take some water from the river and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will turn into blood on the dry land. Moshe said to Adonai, oh Adonai, I'm a terrible speaker. I always have been, and I'm no better now. Even after you've spoken to your servant, my words come slowly, my tongue moves slowly. Verse 11, Adonai answered him, who gives a person a mouth? Who makes a person dumb or deaf, keen-sighted or blind? Isn't it I, Adonai? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and will teach you what to say. Verse 13, but he replied, please, Lord, send someone else, anyone you want. Verse 14, at this, Adonai's anger blazed up against Moshe. He said, don't you have a brother, Aaron, the Levi? I know that he's a good speaker. In fact, here he is now, coming out to meet you, and he'll be happy to see you. Verse 15, you will speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and his, teaching you both what to do. Thus, he will be your spokesman to the people. In effect, for you, he'll be a mouth, and for him, you will be like God. Now take this staff in your hand, because you need it to perform the signs. As we move forward here, many leaders want to climb up the ladder of success. They want to be successful. They want to move up in ministry. They want to move up in corporations. They want to move up in the organization. And they hope that at the top is complete freedom and power. What they don't realize is that leadership actually is about sacrifice. Leaders who want to rise up must do more than take an occasional cut and pay. They have to give up their rights. That's true of every leader, regardless of profession. Talk to any leader, and you'll find he has made repeated sacrifices to get where they've been. In fact, one of the critical things we have to be careful about in ministry is putting your family on the altar of sacrifice. I've seen way too many leaders in the kingdom of God that have lost their marriages and lost their families to make it to the top. There has to be balance in all that you do. And to be successful in the kingdom means you cannot put your altar, your family on the altar of sacrifice. Talk to any leader and you'll find he's made multiple sacrifices to get where they've been. The higher that leader has gone, the greater the sacrifices that are usually made. In fact, we say this even in the kingdom of God, the, the greater the goal, the greater the sacrifice, the price. Effective leaders sacrifice much that is good in order to dedicate themselves to what is best. Leadership demands constant sacrifice. It's an ongoing process, not a one-time payment. The circumstances may change from person to person, ministry to ministry, but the principle doesn't. Leadership equals sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of your time. It's a sacrifice of your efforts. My office is stuck to my hip on an Apple cell phone, 
And uh, for the most part, what we do is 24-7, seven seven days a week. It's a sacrifice of your time. It's a sacrifice of your own dreams, of your own goals to minister to and serve God and the people that are serving him as well. Sacrifice itself is an offering of an animal, a plant, or a human life, or some material possession to a deity as an appropriation or homage. But there's another type of sacrifice, the personal surrender or destruction of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered having a higher or more pressing claim. To surrender a thing of great value is to be extremely devoted, a true sacrifice. Now, and let me pause here because I always share this story. When Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast in 2005 over Labor Day, within a day of that happening, we went out and rented a uh, 28 or 30-foot truck. It was a large truck. We went live on the Oasis Network locally here and asked people to come and bring specific things. We asked for water. We asked for uh, female sanitary products. We asked for diapers. We asked for ready-to-eat canned food. We had vehicle after vehicle come up with boxes and bags of clothes that we refused to take. And those people became very angry. If you remember, uh, and some of you may not even know this, they had a two-acre field down in New Orleans that was over six feet deep in clothes that were donated that they had no use for, and they burned them. Now, what's the problem? Why am I sharing this? Because to go in your closet and pull something out that's of no value to you, that doesn't fit you, you don't wear anymore, hey, mishpacha, that's not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that has great value to you. To go out and give up some of your food supplies, to go out and spend cash and buy things that we need to take down there, that's a true sacrifice. You can't give to God something which didn't cost you anything. This is why this is such a critical topic today because if you truly want to honor and serve God, you've got to be willing to sacrifice and not the things that you could care less about or of no value to you anymore, but the things that are most important to you, that's what must be sacrificed to serve the living God of Israel. Serving God requires sacrifice. When you come into the kingdom, there's an expectation of sacrifice, changing your actions, changing your life to conform to the kingdom of God. Selfishness, anger, bitterness, grumbling, unforgiveness, dissatisfaction, divisiveness, gossip, slander, lying, stealing, cheating, sexual immorality, addictions, love of the world. Your life must radically change When you come into the kingdom of God, you must begin the transformative process that you begin mimicking and looking like Yeshua. You start looking like God himself. You must sacrifice your flesh. Paul said he sacrificed his flesh every day for service and ministry unto God. It's an even greater sacrifice to be in ministry, to be a congregational leader, to service both God and a congregation. Your life is no longer your own. Here's a sobering statistic. 80% of seminary grads leave ministry within two years of graduating. No one prepared them for the life change, for the sacrifice of service, and many of them aren't willing to pay the price. Ministry isn't something you wake up one day and say, geez, that looks like a good career choice. There must be a direct, specific calling from the Lord Most High, and you've got to be prepared to sacrifice to give up everything to get this done. 
75% of all New Messianic congregations fail in the first year. I didn't hear this until we'd been in ministry almost three years. And I says, praise the Lord that I didn't hear that when we first got started, because that would be a little uh, worrisome. 75% of all New Messianic congregations fail in the first year. Why is that? Because they don't want to sacrifice. It requires everything. I'm going to tell you a secret. The first year and a half we were in ministry and we started Congregation Zion's sake, Rabitzin and I, we paid for everything out of my Navy paycheck. This, this wasn't that we could get a pat on the back. There, there was no other way to do this. If we didn't do it, we wouldn't have got started. Of that 25% to survive, only 2 to 3% will exceed 50 members. I'm not trying to dissuade you from service to God or starting a congregation or becoming a leader. What I'm laying down is the fact that it's incredibly difficult and the greatest obstacle you'll have to overcome to succeed as a congregation leader or in starting a congregation is yourself. I've met many in the last 20 years who say they're called to ministry but aren't willing to sacrifice. They're not willing to pay the price. Many want to be pillars of knowledge and sit in Elias' seat dispensing wisdom and judgment, but they can't or won't pay the price of what's required to get there. Many pray for an outpouring, a great awakening, a sovereign move of God for revival, but they're not willing to pay the price. I've shared this many times. I've done it here previously in this Kadima talk. I don't know if our society could win or even survive a World War II type event today. Why? People aren't willing to sacrifice. They're too selfish. They won't sacrifice for the greater good of the nation or each other or their brothers and sisters. Can you imagine in our society today with food rationing, gas rationing, clothes rationing today? And unfortunately, the time and season we're in, we just might experience this in the next month or two. What price are you willing to pay to become a more effective leader? Many leaders keep so busy pursuing their vision and rallying their people, they give it little thought. Leadership always requires sacrifice. No one achieves success without it. Relationships, privacy, sometimes material wealth, and even your own personal dreams and desires are placed upon the altar of sacrifice for service to him. How was Moses able to give up so much and make such great sacrifices without growing bitter or resentful toward God? You know, we got to back up here. Moses spent his first 40 years in Egypt and talk about a life of luxury. He had servants. Every need was met. He was under the tutelage of the world's only superpower. Pharaoh himself mentored him to become an international leader, to become Pharaoh, possibly even of the great nation of Egypt. How could he sacrifice all of this, the comfortable life and and the, the greatest products of the time and the world's most prosperous and powerful superpower at the time? What made him willing to return to Egypt even after? You've got to remember, Moses was a murderer. He killed a man. He left Egypt because he killed an Egyptian What would make him willing to return to Egypt as God's servant, a murderer, after he'd previously enjoyed the best the country had to offer? Well, as we view Moses' life, we'll see how God molded him into an effective leader and used all that Moses had. The first thing I want to talk about was Moses was alone with God. Had Moses stayed in Egypt, would he have listened to God when God called him? Who knows? But Moses' exile in Midian gave him 40 years of reflection time. We we talk about this habitually through this, the time and temperance necessary to raise up into leadership. Remember, Yehoshua, Joshua, was Moses' number two for how many years? Yeah, that's right, 40 years. So we had Moses' first 40 years in Egypt. His second 40 years was living under his father-in-law 
Jethro learning wilderness survival skills. He was in the quiet solitude. And who else do we know that had a similar scenario and background? Yeah, that's right, King David, who spent enormous amounts of time alone with God in the wilderness with the flocks, just like Moses. In fact, David was a warrior, but also what a worshiper. David killed the lion, killed the bear. He knew how to worship and spend time with God. Moshe, in his exile in Midian, gave him 40 years of time to reflect so that when God finally appears to him in this bush that appears to be burning but not consumed, Moses had grown quiet enough to hear God's still, small voice. Leaders in our day take too little time to be alone with God. I've shared this before. Every morning I wake up, I spend an hour to two hours a day alone with God, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing. If I have an earlier day, I get up earlier. If it's the weekend, I get up not so early. But the first thing I do every day is spend time alone with God. Most seem continually to be on the go and rarely quiet themselves to hear God's still small voice. And if that description fits you, you've got to change your habits. You've got to set aside time to be alone with God. You've got to transform yourself into his image. Don't force God to send you the desert to get your attention. Sobering statistic again, the average American spends one to two minutes a day in prayer. Wow. 